Good morning and welcome. My name is Andy Nelms and I have uh, the privilege of being the associate pastor here at Lover's Lane, the pastor here at Thrive, and I just want to welcome you to worship this morning. Um, whether you're a longtime member, maybe you've been at Thrive or at Lover's Lane for a while now, or, or maybe this is your, uh, your f- first time, or maybe your first time back in a while, whatever the case, we want to let you know that you're welcome here. Uh, that one of our goals here is to really just have a vulnerable moment where we can come before God and worship, and, and we just want to welcome all of you who are participating this morning. Uh, We are in a uh, sermon series called The New Normal, and we've been thinking about, as we are in January, what it is to to kind of live into 2021. We know that um, whatever we get back to after, you know, all of this is over, whatever we get back to is not going to be the same as we've always known it. And and so what it's going to look like is what we're calling a new normal, And as I've been praying about this sermon this week, I've I've been thinking a lot about change. Um, Change is not something I've always been open to. Um, You know, my my childhood, really, thankfully, it was an incredible blessing that it was really incredibly consistent. Uh, I grew up um, pretty much in the same house from the time I was three um, to when I graduated high school at 18. I was in the same house, in the same room. Um, my, my parents were, had a really consistent routine, you know, we, we kind of did the same things over and over again, which was really just a, a, a kind of great blessing in my life. But it also meant that whenever I got older, when Melissa and I were getting uh, ready to be married, uh, I was getting ready to go into the ministry, I, I was really kind of nervous because I was thinking about how many times I would move, um, how many transitions I would have, and how many transitions my family would have, and, and how different that would be for me. Well, really, thankfully, I, you know, I, I kind of got over this fear of change. Thankfully so. Melissa and I have been married 11 years now, and we've lived in six different houses. <laughs> it really kind of boggles our mind when we think about it. We lived in six different houses. The good news about that is we don't have a lot of clutter in our storage, right? I mean, like every time we move, you know, we think, okay, well, it's time to, you know, get rid of stuff we're not going to use. And so, I mean, it's one of the blessings, but, you know, really, we've kind of gotten used to this idea of change. And And as I've been praying about this sermon series on the new normal, I've been thinking about this truth, that the fear of change is the beginning of death. When we start to fear change, that's the moment that that really we start dying. And this is true for organizations. This is true for us as individuals as well. You know, I, I found this quote, it was actually by, by Charles Darwin, right, who, who kind of discovered this theory of evolution, and he said that it's not the strongest of the species that survives, nor the most intelligent that survives, it's the one that is most adaptable to change. And yes, this is the probably one and only time I've ever quoted Charles Darwin in my sermon, but, but what, what he says is, is that, you know, it's not the strongest species that survive. And it's not the smartest one. It is the one that is most adaptable to change. And I think that speaks to us. That as we live into this new normal, my hope and my prayer is that we would be open to this idea of change. Not that we would change for change's sake. Not that we would just change so that we can say we've changed, but, but that we would be open to it. That we would eradicate the fear of change. So that we can experience that life everlasting of which Jesus speaks. You know, as I've worked in the church quite a while now, I've, I've heard this phrase pretty often. Maybe you've heard it as well. That, that we've never done that before. 
right? <laughs> Have you heard this phrase? Maybe it came up at a meeting. Maybe it came up at a, in a committee. Maybe it came up even in your family. This phrase, we've never done that before, is used to prevent us from doing the thing that we've never done before, when in fact the phrase, we've never done that before, is the reason we've never done that before, right? That's not an excuse to not do something. Yes, it's, it's, might be scary to live into this new normal. Yes, it, it, there might be some new obstacles in front of us, but, but the fear of change is the beginning of death. And this is what we come to understand when we come to the scriptures this morning. Uh, I would invite you this morning to go ahead and grab a, grab a Bible if you have one with you. Um, it might be in your house or, or wherever it is uh, on your nightstand or your bookshelf. Maybe it's on your phone. Maybe you use your Bible app. If you've never used the Bible before, I would encourage you to, to try it this morning. And um, We're going to be in the Gospel of Luke. So it's kind of in the, the, the second half of the Bible. And the second half goes Matthew, Mark, and Luke. We're going to be in Luke um, 13 this morning. Um, And we're going to start in verse 10. I'll, I'll have you join me here in the Gospel of Luke, chapter 13. We're starting in verse 10. Now Jesus was teaching in one of the synagogues on the Sabbath. And just then there appeared a woman with a spirit that had crippled her for 18 years. She was bent over and was quite unable to stand up straight. When Jesus saw her, he called her over and said, Woman, you are set free from your ailment. And when he laid his hands on her, immediately she stood up straight and began praising God. Now, this seems like an incredible event, right? Jesus is teaching in a synagogue, which is very typical, right? Jesus is a rabbi, is a, is a teacher, and, and so this was very typical that on the Sabbath, on the day of rest, this is a, a day that is also devoted to study of Scripture, that they would go to the synagogue and they would um, talk about it with one another, and they would have a teacher, and they would get up, and they would give their interpretation, and there would be a discussion on it. And so this is what Jesus is doing in the synagogue. He's there teaching, and there is a woman who has been crippled for 18 years. She can't stand up straight. And this is one of the only healings that we read of in which the person doesn't directly ask for healing, right? Like like Jesus just sees her standing there in the synagogue and and he brings her up and he says, you have been freed from this ailment. You've been freed from this spirit. And this, this incredible event happens. And you would think that all the people would begin praising God, would begin celebrating along with the woman, but that's not exactly what happens. Read this in in verse 14. Again, we're in the Gospel of Luke, chapter 13, verse 14. But the leader of the synagogue, indignant because Jesus had cured on the Sabbath, kept saying to the crowd, there are six days in which the work ought to be done. Come on those days and be cured, and not on the Sabbath day. Now, just a little bit of backstory. Sabbath is this is this ritual, is this practice of resting. Every seven days, there would be a 24-hour day of rest. And, and there were all of these kind of instructions. God told them to rest on the Sabbath, and so it, it, all of the leaders began to kind of define what work was and the stuff you couldn't do on the Sabbath. And everybody had their own interpretation. There were some people who were a little bit more liberal with it, some people who were a little bit more conservative. And obviously, this person here, this leader of the synagogue, is very conservative, saying you can't even heal on the Sabbath. But you see that the Sabbath is a, is a good thing. And for us still today, too, it, it's still one of the Ten Commandments to honor the Sabbath day that we should rest 24 hours every seven days. It's a good thing. And then the Sabbath in the time of Jesus is a good thing. But here Jesus is healing someone, giving somebody life. And this leader of the synagogue is saying, 
She has six other days to be healed. Can't she be healed on those days? It seems that this good really has become this enemy of the great. And so Jesus responds in verse 15. and says, The Lord answered him and said, You hypocrites. Does not each of you on the Sabbath untie his ox or his donkey from the, from the manger and lead it away to give it water? And ought not this woman, a daughter of Abraham, as Miss Jen reminded us, a daughter of Abraham, whom Satan has bound 18 long years, be set free from this bondage on the Sabbath day? Jesus says you all have interpretations of what you can and cannot do on the Sabbath. You all have instructions of what you can and cannot do on this day. Why not allow this woman to be healed? You, you, untie, you do this amount of work. You untie your ox or your donkey. You do this amount of stuff. You have interpreted it to allow you to do these things. Why not let this woman be healed? Why not let this woman be healed? And verse 17 says that, When Jesus had said this, all his opponents were put to shame, and the entire crowd was rejoicing at all the wonderful things he was doing. You know, as I think about this scripture, as as I think about this word, again, I'm reminded that the Sabbath is a really good thing. The Sabbath was instituted in the book of Exodus. It's in the Old Testament. God told the Hebrew people, the people who would soon be Israel, told the Hebrew people to rest every seven days. Why? Because formerly they had been slaves. When they were in Egypt, they were slaves and they worked every day. And their only worth, the way that their Egyptian slave masters defined their work was by how many bricks they could make, by how hard they could work. And by their potential in that way. That's how they soon began to define themselves. If you are constantly told by somebody else that this is your value, soon enough you're going to believe it. And so these Hebrew people came uh, came into freedom. They wandered in the desert. They were no longer enslaved in Egypt. And God told them that you were going to rest. You you are going to be defined as a people not who work every seven days, but defined as a people who rest. Why? Because there's no amount of work that you can do that will earn the love of God. That your worth is placed there by your creator. And God has called you good. This is what the Sabbath is. The Sabbath is a great thing. But here Jesus is doing something even greater healing this woman who has been crippled for 18 years. And there's this this pushback. I have a friend who's a pastor um, in in Chicago. His his name is Reverend Matt Temple, and, and he says this. He says, what the gospel is never changes. What the gospel does always changes. Look at that. Just leave that up there for just a moment, Jackie, that what the gospel is never changes. What the gospel does always changes. Look at this example right here in the scripture of Luke 13. What the gospel is is still God redeeming God's people back to himself. God is constantly calling out to his people to redeem them, to bring them into relationship. 
And of course, the gospel is, is God doing that through Jesus Christ. But that, that gospel of God's redemption of God's people has always been the same. But what the gospel did previously with the, the Hebrew people of instituting this, this Sabbath, this strict Sabbath to, to institute to these people that there's no amount of work that you could do that to constantly ingrain it into their minds had been done. They had now gotten that message and now the gospel was doing something new in their midst. The gospel was now pushing back against those former laws. The gospel was doing something new. And notice who it frustrates. That when the gospel does something new, most often it frustrates the religious people. Look at the ministry of Jesus. Jesus comes, Scripture says, God made flesh into this world to show what the kingdom of God is like, what it would be like if God had God's way in this world. And when Jesus did that, whenever, whenever Jesus would show what it was like, the, the people that it would frustrate were the religious people who had set up all these rules and rituals, these rites, the, these processes. Jesus, we have a way to get that done, and you're not following that way. We've got this thing here in this box, and it's convenient for us, and it works for us. Friends, the gospel is doing something new this morning. We are living into a new normal. How will we respond? There's a story of, uh, of, of John Wesley. John Wesley is the founder of the Methodist movement, a, a church movement of which we are a part of the connection. Um, John Wesley was an Anglican priest in the 1700s uh, in the Church of England, and and in the Church of England in this time, you know, church is, is a very dignified thing, right? So, so the people who went to church were very dignified. And, and the way they ensured that was they instituted what were called pew tax, so that they charged money for the seats in the church. And so to ensure that this church would remain a very dignified act, right? So the, the wealthier people would sit up front and, you know, and would go on back. And, and this is how they did it. The job of priest was a very dignified job. You were in very high esteem if you were a priest. And, and John Wesley was in this order. He, he was a very dignified person. But he also had this passion. He had this passion to, to share the good news and, and to join the gospel and the new things that the gospel was doing in his world. And, and he was actually encouraged by a friend of his. His name was George Whitfield. His friend, George Whitfield, started preaching in the open air, which if preaching indoors was very dignified, preaching outdoors was very undignified. And not only that, but George Whitfield was preaching to the undignified people, the poor and the coal miners. He was preaching to all of these people who clearly needed the gospel but couldn't afford the pew tax or, or didn't want to pay the pew tax to come into the church. And so George Whitfield encouraged John Wesley to go outdoors, said, you, you won't believe what's happening out there. These people are, are preaching and people are being saved. People are coming to Jesus in this way. And John Wesley hymns and haws about this. He, he debates this over and over again. He prays about this. And finally, he decides to go outdoors and preach. And, and, he, and he writes in his journal on that day that he preaches outdoors. And, and he writes in his journal these words, at four in the afternoon, I submitted to be more vile. And proclaimed in the highways the glad tidings of salvation. 
I submitted to be more vile. I submitted to the new thing that the gospel was doing in my world. What the gospel is never changes. God is redeeming God's people back to himself. God is calling us into relationship through Jesus Christ. But what that gospel looks like in this world is constantly new. Whether it's preaching outdoors in the open air. Whether it's, it's preaching online and worshiping from our living rooms. gospel is doing something new how will we respond so I encourage you this week to pray about how you can submit to be more vile that you that maybe each day this week that you would pray how, how can you submit to be more vile what, what, what would that look like to you do you have these sabbath laws do you have these these boxes these these comfortabilities these things that you know you, you really just don't want to break out of these routines these things and 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 but you might sense you might feel god calling you to something new that the, the gospel what the unchanging gospel is actually doing now is something different than what the gospel has formally done how might you respond to that changing gospel maybe it's a different way of inviting a friend to worship. Maybe it's, you know, sending them a text or a, a, with a link of, of online worship saying, I'm going to be here. I, I'd love for you to join me. Or maybe if you have somebody in your bubble, you know, maybe you have somebody that you both feel comfortable about your routines and, and who you're seeing and people you're coming in contact with. Maybe you would invite them over into your living room on Sunday morning. Maybe you guys can, can hang out in the morning and have coffee and, and worship together in your living rooms. What if... Thrive was not defined by this one location where we had worship, but multiple churches in multiple different neighborhoods and living rooms. What the gospel is, the good news of God, the redemption of God's people back to God's self, what the gospel is never changes. What the gospel is doing never stays the same. Thanks be to God. Let us pray. Holy Spirit, come into our lives this morning. Wherever we are, God, if we are in our living rooms, if we are doing dishes, if we are in the garage, God, if we are just trying to escape for just a moment, wherever we are, God, I pray that your Holy Spirit would come to us, that we would begin to sense now a, a, a sense of your calling, a sense of your presence with us. God, we struggle with change. As a people, we want routine. We want the same thing day in and day out, God. And I pray that you would bless us, that through the power of your Holy Spirit, that we would sense a calling into the new thing that you were doing. That we would have courage to extend an invitation to that person who needs you. 
There are people that we'd rather extend an invitation to, the people that look like us, the people that act like us, the people that might not even already have a church home. But God, we have friends and neighbors. We have family members who, God, are in desperate need of that unchanging gospel. And we pray, God, that we would give us strength and courage to do what you did, to reach out to the least, the left out, and the lost. God, we thank you for your good news. We pray that we would join you. We ask it by the power of the Holy Spirit in the mighty name of Jesus Christ. And all of God's people said, amen.